0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. read the pod episode 52 where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm April and here with Mae's Melody. Hello. April, could you even believe this weather this weekend? Um no, it was a little too hot for me, but the evenings were perfect. Absolutely perfect.
2: I have to tell you what I did this weekend.
1: You should
2: me. I shared <laughs> air I shared air with you on this. But amazing. I'm fully vaccinated now <laughs> that's so awesome April and I just sat on my back porch drank beers hung out and we just didn't have to worry my kids came out and April was just hanging around and like <laughs> oh, it was such a relief and then today I went and saw my dad and I could just like hug my dad And I wasn't worried he was giving me COVID or I was giving him COVID. Mm -hmm. And then I went over and I stopped by my mom's house and I was like, hey, mom. And I didn't worry I was giving her COVID. I didn't worry she was giving me COVID. They were Mm. hugging my children. And I'm like, I can't. So anyway, that is what's happening with me this weekend. I am pretty euphoric about being fully vaccinated. I am two weeks past the second shot. And I am ready to hang out with fully vaccinated people. <laughs> and if you're not getting a vaccine, then stay the fuck away from me basically yep. forever. Cause I am not yep. going to wear a mask for you. You're not worth it. Get a vaccine. <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs> just, well, if you're not worth getting vaccinated for, they don't seem
2: right. I mean, unless you have like gear on bear and you can show me a doctor's note. Like
1: I'm not,
2: yeah. we're not, no, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's how I'm feeling.
2: Um, what else did you do besides, you know, like, share air with me?
1: Well, um, we did some yard stuff. Um, a big tree, our neighbor's big tree that shades our yard had to come down last year. Oh, so it's no. completely a barren, burning hellscape. And the backyard, 20 the years same. to get a new tree, too. Yeah, yeah. So, we're refiguring out some more chairs, and basically, like, our shade is, like, from our own house. <laughs> so, we oh. chairs up by the house now, but it looks all right. It's like when and you're at I the think, beach, and you
2: have an umbrella, and you keep, like, following yeah. the shade as the sun yeah. moves.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've looked into, like, could I put a beach umbrella in my yard? I don't think I can. Yes. <laughs> and then, I think we're going to get a shade tent thing, and then... um. The backyard, actually, um, getting rid of some kid stuff that's a little too little for our kids now. And oh god, here's my sad part though. I don't have I don't garden, but I used to work on the prairie every summer. And last fall, I was like, "Hey prairie plants, I will just put you in here, and you'll live or you won't," because they're prairie plants. They don't need anything. They need a lot of sun. And I did it. Mm-hmm. And I hired a kid to mow my lawn this weekend, and he mowed over. <laughs> I mean, he weeded it over them, so, like, they're still there, so I do think they'll come back, all except for one cone flower, but I'm, like, I marked it off. I had, like, a piece of, like, a, a wood block no. in front of it and stuff, and I'm, like, you didn't even ask me. You didn't ask me. And he's done oh, the yard before, but those things were never there. I'm sure he thought he was helping. He probably thought it was a weed. Oh, man. Oh, man. <sighs> I mean, well, to be fair, my grass was really tall. <laughs> fair. Fair. Anyway, should we bring on our guest? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. We have right. John Cartier,
2: and he is, I have been trying to get him on the pod for, like, six months, Ooh. and Missing we, like, dude. finally got him. Okay. so B- Bring him in. All right. Let's get him. Okay. Today, we've got. John Cartier, an attorney who specializes in constitutional law and graduate of University of Nebraska Law. He's worked on numerous campaigns, including his own for Lincoln Public School Board of Education, and his advocacy passions, the things we want to talk to him about today, are voting rights, where he serves as a director at Civic Nebraska, and drug law reform, and most recently, his work has been with Nebraskans with Sensible Marijuana Laws. Welcome to the pod, John. It's
0: great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me here tonight.
2: We are so excited because there are, you work on all of these cool things that we talk about 100% of the time. So it's just awesome to finally have you here.
0: That's great. And so, I've uh, been following Scene Red for a while, and I always love the coverage you guys have on a lot of the similar topics as well.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a group effort and it's a labor of love for sure. Um, and okay. So first question that I'd like to ask everyone is, who are you? Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Like, just give us a little biography of like, not the official, you know, formal thing you might put on a website, but just, you know, like walk us through. Who are you? How did you get to be who you are today?
0: Yeah, yeah Sure. So, my name's John. I'm, I'm a human, as far as I can tell. I uh, originally hail from the great state of Utah, where I was born in a small town called Heber, and it's um, at the base of a mountain where Park City, Utah is. And uh, that's where I spent a lot of my childhood, was growing up in the mountains there. Um, my family, I wasn't Mormon, my mom wasn't Mormon, but everyone else, uh, you know, for generations were Mormons, so it was kind of... Uh, an interesting break from where the rest of my family has been.
2: Is Heber near helper Utah? Ah, uh, yes. Which is I think,
0: it, yeah, I think so.
2: I was in the peace corps with someone from helper Utah. Her family owned the grocery store in the town. Okay. And now she's in the foreign service and she travels around the world. So, so did you get to go through small.
0: Utah at all?
2: Yeah. I've been to helper Utah. I oh, have yeah. been there for sure. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I love that. state. Stunning. 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 Okay. So you grew up in Utah. Um, And then what?
0: Yeah. uh, So I um, grew up with a single mom. She moved me to Las Vegas when I was nine. And that's where we started kind of a new life out there. And it was very different coming from Park City and going to Las Vegas, of course. But that's where I ended up staying and growing up all the way through high school. Uh, I attended uh, a Lutheran college called Faith Lutheran from six through 12th and the track and football. And every time someone tried to get me to do mock trial, I would say no, but that was one of the, the things that some of my friends did.
1: Even um, I so, did mock trial. Yeah. Nice. There's a lot of people. <laughs> did.
0: It, <laughs> it was, um, it, but the thing about that was, it was always right after like track practice or something. So the people who did that were just crazy. Wanted to be in school even longer. Um, but so, yeah, I, I grew up in Las Vegas, had, uh, really fun time there. Uh, like I said, I ran track in the next. You know, evolution is always college from high school, right? And I got a uh, track scholarship at Concordia University, Nebraska, and decided to move to Nebraska from Las Vegas, which was a very shocking thing for a lot of my friends. Who pretty much everyone went to the University of Nebraska Arena or uh, Las Vegas to be a rebel and um, just party and had a great time and really close to doing that. Almost did that. But as uh, I, I just like to take the hard road sometimes. <laughs> so decided to go did, to Nebraska. Uh,
2: was Ben South there when you're at Concordia?
0: No, so he was at um Midlands, I believe. I think he's the Midlands. Oh
2: Midlands. A, no, you're totally right. You're right. You're right. I yeah, but he was up.
0: president there at Midlands when I was first start at Concordia because that was 2010. So i when I moved to Nebraska uh, to Seward. And that, that was a huge culture shock. I mean, I'm a white person came from private education, uh, but going to Las Vegas, Nebraska was its own very unique
1: <laughs>
0: uh, experience from, from where I stood and did four years Concordia undergrad in Seward ran track, met a lot of great friends that um, we live really close to still now in Lincoln and have our kids uh, growing up with each other. So really fun, um, uh, experience there. But uh, let's see. So Concordia did that. I, I majored in marketing and I had a minor in journalism. I thought I was going to be a journalist, but I, I tried an internship. I think it's my sophomore year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like did this. the same thing. <laughs> uh, it was like, no, I, I don't want to be a journalist after interning with the summer newspaper in Park City. It was, <laughs> it was like very uh, rewarding. I learned a lot but a bi-weekly newspaper is like its own kind of hell for sure. Like it's just <laughs> so many stories you got to do. I, I did not like that. Um, it was, it was hard just being an intern trying to do that. Um, and actually I took over the role of the, as the scene editor for uh, like half a month when the guy went on vacation at the end of the summer. So I really got the experience, like what it is with these deadlines and people yelling at you because you get your know, wrong um, edits to the copy. And it was just a disaster. But um, so I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I, I landed on law. And what I usually tell people about that is, um, I, I just had so many voices like growing ups saying like, you know what, John, you'd be, you'd make a good lawyer or, you know, you should go to law school. And it was usually because, um, not as like a compliment necessarily, just very argumentative uh, youngster growing up and, um, <laughs> some teachers <laughs> classrooms and stuff. <laughs> so kind of an asshole, but you know, I grew out of that for the most part. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I decided, um, junior year in Korea, uh, law was probably gonna be the next step. So I, I studied for the LSAT, started applying to schools. Um, I got accepted into a couple areas. Um, but I, I got the acceptance letter from university of Nebraska college of law. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely going here. Uh, cause at that time, my girlfriend, um, I'm now married to beautiful wife, Randy. She uh, was you know, in Nebraska. Her whole family has been in Nebraska. She wasn't going anywhere. And then a lot of my really good friends, um, they're all moving to Lincoln or staying in Nebraska. So it was just the next natural thing to do. Uh, so I went to law school. Uh, my first year of law school, I um, changed my voter registration because I had been a Republican that entire, like growing up through that whole time. Um, although towards the end I was a little bit more Ron Paul, kind of a libertarian. Um, but when I got to law school, I I finally like sat down and was like, okay, what do I believe in? What do I don't believe in? And most of my checks boxes, you know, Democratic Party. So I switched over. Um, I grew up with a, you know a big interest in politics and history. My mom, she always, um, fostered that, uh, in me growing up. So, um, I, I started working on campaigns. I, I don't know how that happened, but the first one, my, uh, was with, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Dave sent Senate campaign. I started out as a canvasser with him, um, my first year of law school. And so I met a lot of, you know, great people, uh, that work in this space there. Um, I, Decide after that campaign, like I, I could probably do this for myself, and ran for the Lincoln um, Board of Education against uh, Annie Mumgard and and got uh, ha- uh, you know my ass handed me pretty steadily, but I got you know a couple hundred votes. She is so, very never. popular in your <laughs> <Yeah, I'm> Like. <laughs> People are like, you're, you're running against one of the mom guards for school board. Do you know who she is? I'm like, no, not really. She's going to do it. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> what did you think about running for office, though? Like, did you knock doors? Were you like, hi, I'm John. I would like your vote.
0: I, yeah, you I was um, very in, introvert. I'm still a very introverted person, but just talking to hundreds of people, that really just beat, beat it out of me. Um, so I, uh, learned from that experience how to be a lot more comfortable just talking to anybody and, um, not being so scared of just, you know, public speaking type of thing. Uh, so it was really good practice for that stuff. And as an attorney now, like I, um, remember experiences like that and, um, just being with people and talking to people, you can't replace that as far as what you want to do in a professional setting, especially, you know, with law, I, I say,
2: well, I ran <laughs> for the legislature, um, once and i just think everyone should run one time it is like a graduate level civics education of just how the the infrastructure works like what does it mean what are we doing when we run these elections every go round i love that
0: idea because it's so true like you you have to learn everything like the campaign record reporting the, the filing how you beg people for money who you need to know to like help you if you're serious like run a campaign and fundraise for their salary it's it is quite the little enterprise and you don't get that Mm -hmm. experience anywhere else unless you try it
2: it's so weird because you have to fundraise for people's salaries to help you but you don't get a salary as the candidate and everybody is disappointed in you at some point in your campaign (laughs) like it sucks so much i can't believe anyone does it
0: oh yeah it's brutal and there's yeah. a lot of people like I mean the Dave Domino one, that was kind of heartbreaking just cause how hard like everyone worked on it and I got to a point where I started to believe like <laughs> we're, we're gonna do it, we're gonna pull it off, and then you no know, election happens and <laughs> it just wasn't oh. meant to be.
2: Yeah. My first campaign I worked on was there was it was called Prop 416. It was back in two thousand and it would it made gay marriage illegal in the Nebraska constitution. And I was young, and I was like, we're going to do this because we're working so hard. But I really didn't understand about Nebraska or politics or what the odds were. And of course, you know, that passed (laughs) overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. fast, And I was so sad because I really didn't, uh, I really believed, I really believed we could pull it off if we just all worked hard enough, but I didn't understand the whole picture
0: Yeah, that's, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a second, but the the whole picture element, um, I mean, that really can get you in the end of a lot of great ideas. (laughs) So, yeah, where where was I? Um, 2014, first year of law school. Um, Around that time, uh, I met um, our first year, my really good friend, Dexter Schroet. He uh, went to law school with me and we founded a chapter of Students for Sensible Drug Policies at the UNL College of Law. We met at a one of those like orientation parties before classes start, and it was one of those moments in Step Brothers where we have that conversation. We're like, do we just become best friends because <laughs> all of our <laughs> interests like aligned up, and uh, we just like immediately just started scheming about like how are we gonna like reform drug policy in Nebraska, or like what can we do as you know young attorneys or like using the law to to help out the process? Because at that time and 2014 it was pretty it was pretty sad like just the disorganization and the movement there wasn't really anybody I mean there were there were attempts in the unicameral um, advocacy but it it was just scattered all over the place Um, so we started just going to legislative hearings uh, and that's where we met the fantastic people who um, now make up Nebraska families for medical cannabis and got to learn a lot of their stories and um, why they're been advocating for years before we started um, to try and get access to medication that would save themselves or, you know, their families or their kids, just the most heart wrenching stories ever. And this, once we met, you know, everybody in that group um, we just started working any chance we got um, outside of school to continue to work towards beneficial policy. Um, and that really culminated when we finally got out of law school and graduated and uh, we we set our sights to get a ballot initiative together to, um, because we thought it was going to be time for the 2020 election. Certainly, um, we knew how popular it was in Nebraska by that point, and that was uh, that all started in and the winter of 2017. Started just talking to people about it and behind closed doors, and uh, eventually that evolved to the point where we got uh, the senators on board. We got Marijuana Policy Project helping us out. Um, we had the ballot initiative committee formed and language put together. Uh, and then we struggled for about a year <laughs> trying to get money and interest and in, like people uh, interested in the cause, uh, which would have put us in 2019. Um, and things were getting pretty desperate there because, you know, we're I mean, every month we are losing out on getting a couple million dollars that was actually needed to run a campaign. Together um, because I mean, we had 20,000 volunteer signatures, which is outstanding for any sort of ballot initiative. But you need 160,000 signatures, that's just what it takes. Ah. And to get there and just volunteers, it's pretty much impossible.
2: Um, Why do you need 160,000? Like, is that a magic number or is that coming from some sort of statute?
0: So, the statute is. For what we're doing was a constitutional amendment. So you needed a 10% signature threshold of, um, I believe the law is of the registered voters at the time of the last governor race. I think that's where it is. But Hmm. either way, it ended up being 120,000 signatures. But then you need to factor in um, about a 30% rejection rate for every signature you collect. So that's why you want to collect, you know, anywhere close to 200,000. So you, you just don't even have to really worry about it when some signatures get thrown out.
2: And why would a signature get rejected?
0: A variety of reasons. If the person moved, um, uh, sometimes that can be an issue. Typically those are supposed to be counted if the person who's um, noting the signature can find them in a voter registration database. Um, but if they weren't registered to vote and they just signed it, um, that's a really common reason for a signature to get thrown out. I think we had a couple thousand of those at least. Um,
2: that's amazing. Just yeah. think about like, I'm just thinking, aside from this issue, all of the Get Out the Vote campaign initiatives that happen all the time from all kinds of groups, right? And you think there were thousands of people who care about something in the political process, and their voice didn't count because they didn't register to vote. I mean, that's kind of shocking, you know?
0: It is. And I can tell you personally, because I did a lot of the signature collecting myself. Um, my wife and I, uh, she's from Hampton County. Um, and so we went there and I think we needed like three, 400 signatures to qualify it. So we just punched out in a couple of days. Um, but we talked to, oh, I talked to a lot of people there and, and in Lincoln when I collected signatures, that story always came up trying to get a signature of someone, they totally believe in what we're doing. Um, I ask them when they're signing, are you a registered voter? And like, oh wait, no, I've never voted before. Like, <laughs> fuck voting. Voting's the worst thing ever. Why would you do that? I'm like, well, you have to be a registered voter to get this on the ballot. And that's like, you know, trying to get someone who's never voted before to then cross that next uh, threshold to actually register to vote and, and start being civically engaged is very difficult. But it's not mm-hmm. impossible, and we got tons of people to register to vote just because they wanted to support the issue. Um, that's why any time medical marijuana or recreational marijuana has been on a ballot in the state, they get more votes than any other candidate running than Senate, governor, president. It's just um, – that's just because it draws out people who otherwise don't vote. So that's just um, – as you are saying, it, it's it, – a lot of signatures got thrown out, but, I mean, we probably registered – thousands of people otherwise uh, would never have voted.
2: And then you think once people get registered to vote, you don't get unregistered. So suddenly all those people are going to start getting candidate mailers, secretary of state, if they send something out, like they might get called for jury duty. Like they just, just the registration brings them into the civic process. Like, it's yes. just, I, I love that. Um, that arc of like, we give them something to care about. That's not the candidate of the moment. Just give them something that they really deeply need in their life. Give them a reason to show up. They show up and that just this the first step gets them in. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. Melody And everybody has that one issue or one thing that will get them to uh, be motivated enough to at least sign about that. They get delivered to them to their house. I think uh, people, right. Like lives. think of
1: the pandemic when all those ballots went out. That surely had an impact.
0: Yeah, it was huge, record breaking. Um mm-hmm. is uh twenty twenty, as everyone knows. Um, and that was largely because over six percent of all ballots were just absentee ballots. Yeah. That never happened before.
1: But also you guys, and I bet Medicaid expansion probably also got more people to register to vote in the last couple of years, and so they would have been able to get those mail-in ballots. Yeah. it's I'll so, um, oh, go for it. One thing, in, okay,
2: so in your hat, I'm going to kind of pull you away for a sec from um drug reform and talk about, one thing we know that's happening around the country is In response to this wave of new voters all around the country, we are seeing, and specifically in Georgia, right, we're seeing voting rights being attacked. And that's happening in Georgia. And anybody who follows Seeing Red, this podcast, or has ever listened to me talk about politics ever, (laughs) for any (laughs) amount of time, you know that I've firmly believe and have a whole lot of evidence to back up this position that things come and go at the state level that's where it happens Mm -hmm. that's where we have to be paying attention Mm -hmm. and like yep sucks in georgia but you don't live in georgia and there's nothing you can do about georgia unless you're like part of one of these big national and really all they need from you is their dollars but so what so what i want so all that's being said right like what do we need to be paying attention to in nebraska are there attempts to make it harder to vote in response to increased voting, which we know the Republican party as like their party platform is not, they want it to make it harder. They're not happy with like the the really huge turnout.
0: Yeah. So the thing we see here in Nebraska and this could change in the future, much as it has in Georgia very recently, but it, I mean, this state is very, very strongly red. So a lot of the voter suppression measures that might make sense in areas where Democratic voters are starting to gain an edge, um, those are being implemented because they're going to just with uh, a knife just slash voter percentage rates across the board. And there's just enough on one side voting to where they're they're fine. But if you do that in Nebraska in some areas, that could really backfire in a way if you make it you know, way too, too hard to vote, you're going to start losing your own voters. So there, there's a fine thread um, for some of these things, but we still see in Nebraska, the voter ID law, every single year we got to um, lobby against, I think we're going on the t- 10th time out of 11 years. Uh, we're, we've been debating Ugh. it. Um, the one that caught my eye in 2019, in 2018 was a measure that would tie uh, the Senator uh, redistricting that was going to happen you know this year based on the population of voting citizens not on the population of just you know individuals in a, a various uh, census district which sounds like a you know kind of slight little what's the big deal about that but that could i mean that excludes immigrants um uh children is a huge thing um like it would have drastically altered the electoral map um So that that was one that was introduced and didn't go anywhere. And walk um, me
2: through that, because that I don't remember. I don't remember that bill, so I definitely didn't pay attention to any of the debate because I don't even remember it. But like, so I know. Like right now, we include everybody. We use the census numbers. Like, how would changing it to like the voting population and districting based on that? Like, how would it change things in a way that would corrupt the end result? Because those people would still exist in those districts, even if they weren't considered when the lines were formed. So, you know, and I know, like, one thing is, like, prisons, right? We count um, prisoners, that people that are incarcerated, but they don't get to vote. And so people who end up in districts with prisons don't have to work as hard to get elected, right? And so, I don't know, just, like, walk me through the thinking yeah. on that, because I don't, I don't think I'm at the same I just haven't thought it through, but those
0: are my yeah. first questions. You so At the end there, you kind of answered it yourself. A, a lot of it is some of these districts, you can gerrymander it just so terribly uh, to where, I mean, where you have a prison, you don't have to knock on a lot of doors because those people aren't voting at all. Um, and I'm trying to remember the population, but every center district is supposed to have around 30,000, I think is what it is. Uh, So if you're looking at these districts in a neighborhood that is um, lower income, maybe more migrants, um, a lot of probably a lot of children, a lot more than you probably see in a retirement community in southern uh, Lincoln, Um, they're going to get everyone in their district the full 30,000 basically accounted for. Whereas uh, everyone that would be more north Lincoln, um, some of the areas around probably the bottoms like there would hardly be anyone there just because there's a lot of kids. And um, uh, under that piece of legislation, if, if you weren't a voting citizen, then you wouldn't be part of that factor at all. And uh, it, it's hard to know for sure what it would, what it would look like. I just know it's bad because our democracy and how census and redistricting works is if we count every single person and, and make sure that uh, representation is even that way. Otherwise it's just, uh, it's,
1: it's, well, it's, it's, it's a
0: lot harder.
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous to think that someone who doesn't vote, or you know, isn't old enough to vote, doesn't also need represented. <laughs> yeah, and then there's that.
2: No, yeah. well. I guess I'm kind of getting maybe to the same conclusion I'm thinking if you have a section of town that is more densely populated, they deserve. Maybe two representatives for whatever that districting office is, and this less populated part of town should really just get one based on population. But if you're only doing it on registered voters,
0: certainly that's shifted. That <laughs> yeah, then that, that district.
2: Okay, right. No, I'm I'm following along. I'm okay. I'm getting there. I knew like yeah. we were probably going to end up at the same conclusion i just wasn't i didn't i've never heard no, of that
0: it, and it and it's thinking. and it's really sneaky because um something like that it, you they can point to in our state constitution anyways there's a language in there that legislative boundaries should be drawn excluding aliens um but what aliens mean is up to debate because back in the 1800s that could have meant someone from just out of state or like just it's a whole mess uh but they want to basically bring us back to uh, a failed way of redistricting that doesn't work it is not comparable for a way of democracy anymore uh, so that that failed and w- we do a really good job in the unicameral we stop a lot of bad legislation and I, if you i'm sure you guys have covered the unicameral and you're all familiar here with filibuster rules um but that makes it really hard to pass proactive voter registry or voter laws and that's um probably the bigger frustration for me in my role is, uh, things like automatic voter registration We have never really been able to even get out of committee. Um, something that would help expand vote by mail to some larger counties never makes it out of committee, even though we have county election officials and NACA who supports it. Uh, so a lot of things that would help um, boost our pretty okay voter percentage rates, um, even higher, and make it more comparable to like uh, Colorado who's in the 80% typically. Uh, we just can't do it here yet, but we're getting there.
2: Well, it speaks to the power of election. But so, all right, I'm going to come back around to drug reform. And so we know a lot of people really, really excited about the ballot initiative project that you were working on and that you were part of the leadership team on. And people registered to vote just to participate. And then they showed up, they were going to show up to vote. Just to participate, because this is really important to the people, right? Like, we're not, it doesn't matter if it's important to the government. The ballot initiative process, it, it shouldn't be considering what the government wants, right? Like, it is about what the people want, and it is up for people to make that case to each other, get these signatures, and then move it along to the ballot. And so then we have a sheriff from Lancaster County, which Lincoln is in Lancaster County, uh, the second biggest city in the state, sometimes the biggest city if a game is happening. And (laughs) that sheriff showed up with a funded campaign to stop the ballot initiative using um, litigation, which is not available to common people because lawyers are expensive, right? So we know, we know somebody funded this because lawyers are expensive. And we know the sheriff said it was funded by somebody in secret. Um, and so so what, the other thing that we know is sheriffs are an elected position. Mm-hmm. And while we don't have a lot of campaign finance laws in Nebraska, we hardly have any, we do have a few. And one of those laws is, Elected officials cannot take big sums of money without disclosing it, and and so this is kind of like your news of the week, right, John? And this and so like tell me did it, one did I capture everything you said about right? Is that all accurate information? And then two, let's talk about that.
0: Great, that was a great setup, Melody for sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. So as everyone probably witnessed, we end up raising money we ended up getting all the signatures we really thought we were going to pull it off getting um uh this thing on the ballot where really we came to nothing it was down to the wire we made it through a pandemic couldn't collect signatures for three months uh it was just crazy town um and so we get to the lawsuit part when we were crafting the language in the very beginning we knew that they were going to challenge us on the single subject they did it for medicaid and medicaid survived the challenge so we, uh, what little money we did have, we retained legal counsel to help us craft language. We use outside counsel for, uh, from you know various parts of the state or nation rather, really smart people. And we sat down and drafted language and we thought it was gonna survive a single subject challenge because every portion of what we wrote really was connected in a fundamental way to having a medical marijuana uh, access to it in the state. I mean, you you wouldn't be able to access medical marijuana unless you had a dispensary or a place to go buy it, basically, like just stuff like that. Um, So we we get the single subject challenge. Terry Wagner puts his uh, name on it. Fine. We we thought we could uh, at least win it in the courts um, at that point. Uh, And we were really encouraged when we had the Secretary of State also clear the language um that was really encouraging. He could have said it wasn't ready for the ballot um based on his authority and we would have had to challenge him in court then, but he he sided with us. Um, which Secretary Evan in my role as director of voting rights, I mean, we clashed a lot, but in that moment I had a lot of respect for him. I I, I do professionally do have respect for him. Um and that was one of those moments where he surprised me. Um, <laughs> but you know, it didn't really matter much because then we get to the district uh or supreme court and um you know just how the votes came down and the reasoning was just so so bizarre how they would change and effectively destroy the single the ballot initiative process for we the people in Nebraska when the language in the constitution says it is one of the most protected fundamental things that we can, you know, have and the courts are supposed to zealously guard it for us. And mm-hmm. that is not what happened um in, in that lawsuit. And it was it was um as an attorney, I can't really comment much on, you know, judges and how they rule on stuff, but I, I agreed with what the dissent wrote. I'll tell you that. Um, so we, we get through that bone crushing defeat, like every, cry, tears, everybody, everyone campaign working on it for years. That was really tough. Um, I had to disengage from the political sphere for a couple months around then for sure. Uh, a lot of people did. Um,
2: mm-hmm. well, but, because uh, these things happen on the backs of volunteer labor, by and large. And people don't give that kind of time and talent and money um, flippantly to get, that, to get it up to the ballot initiative level. Like it is, whether you or not you agree with any particular ballot initiative, um, unless it is being funded by your local billionaire, uh, where everybody's being paid, most more often than not, it is, really is a labor of love and passion.
0: That's exactly right. And I mean, people who were sick uh, were out there collecting signatures alongside people who were getting paid money to do it, And they were just volunteers. Like it was just, everyone came together. And when I was talking a little bit earlier about the state of organization and in, in the um, pro-marijuana drug policy reform area in the state of Nebraska, we finally did come together, all different groups of people and really worked very, very well together to pull off quite an amazing feat, a uh, hundred thousand signatures in like a month to just get us over the finish line when we thought it was impossible by that point, because we lost so much time with the pandemic. Um, wow. So yeah, that was crushing. Um, fast forward a while <laughs> and we get into 2021 and um, you know, I I'm, I'm still kind of upset uh, about it. And I'll admit that. Um, but there's always, I think uh, a reason things happen, even if it's terrible, um, you got to believe in something at the end of the day, especially if you work in advocacy, because it often does not work out for you. Um, but uh, we we got an interesting idea that ended up panning out, and that was uh, Terry Wagner, as an elected official, he needs to file a statement of interest every year on that statement of interest. And like you said, this is one of the few rules you actually have to comply with in the state of Nebraska. Otherwise it's very lenient to get money as an elected official, super lenient, um, and reporting and how you spend it anyways. But the one thing is if you get what's considered a gift over a hundred dollars, you do need to report it. So if even at a wedding, like if you get gifts over a hundred bucks, you need to write it down on the statement of, uh, uh, financial interests. Uh, if you if you sign your name on this statement without it being correct and you know it's not correct, that's a felony. It says you shall be charged with a felony under state law. Um, and what do you know? I, I took a look at his statement of financial interests. You can anyone's free to see it, the public, and he had zero reported for gifts, which. As an attorney myself, um, who's minded more towards Constitution and, and keeping elected officials accountable, that just didn't really seem right, because we know uh, they retained an attorney, uh, Mark Falston, who was my old employment law professor. I know he's expensive. <laughs>
1: <I think> <laughs>
0: <it's>, <laughs> he's rumble lucky. That's affirmed. firm. Like, they're not doing nothing for free. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe they did. And this is all going to blow over, but. I don't think that's the case. So um, potentially Terry's in a lot of trouble if the uh, Nebraska accountability and disclosure commission takes a look at it and they determine that the complete someone paying for his legal fees, hundred percent is a, considered a gift, which is, should be also considered income under IRS tax law. So, I mean it under the definition of gift, gift, it fits. You can't just have someone magically pay all your legal fees and just like that's okay. K as an elected official. It, it, it is astounding that that was just so glossed over when this happened by, by the media. It, like, it, my jaw just like, well, everybody. Yeah.
2: Well, and part so of it, Hopefully I he's, mean,
0: he's, he's screwed on this. I don't know.
2: I mean, part so, of it is, um, one, like the media just can't watch all these little things because we keep losing all of our local investigator reporters and there's no money for local reporters. And, you know, I've talked about this on the pod a lot. It is a huge problem to our state because there should just be some reporter with, you know, in like a dirty coat who just goes and like reads all these reports and writes their notes. And he's been doing this for 20 years and has kind of a memory bank of like what should be there and what's normally there and what's not normally there. We don't have that in our state. This is why we are having an environmental disaster in need nobody's watching anything this is why i discovered that domestic violence data is not being reported to the crime commission because nobody's watching there are no watchdogs i would encourage the listeners try to figure some of this out and like whatever your little space is because if you think people are watching um there's probably not and you have to support
1: you have to support your local journalism. I can't stand when people online are like, "It's behind a paywall." Well, it's nothing's free, <laughs> and you know what? They're trying to. They can't be a watchdog if you don't subscribe. I don't get the paper, but I do pay for some online stuff.
2: <laughs> so it's a problem, and we need a rich person to just like fund a reporter-led co-op, and then like yes. go away. I don't want them to like manage it. I want them to just dump a bunch of money in an account. Give it to, let Chris Dunker be the president of it. (laughs) And then, like,
1: (laughs) um, Aliyah Humley at the World Herald. Give him a billion dollar
0: dollar endowment fund and just go. Melody, we did
1: not discuss telling our big seeing red dream on the pod. (laughs) I was not ready (laughs) to reveal. (laughs) I love it. I'm ready to work towards this idea. Thank you. Right, you and can then use your we'll, help as an attorney. <laughs> we'll start developing institutional
2: knowledge with reporters who can, and then like raise up, keep every time all the journalism students keep bringing them in and then just get a cycle. But we need a billion dollar endowment. So yeah, somebody, somebody come on. That, that's the thing. Um, that's
0: what's wrong with journalism. that's why I, when I had my first experience with it and it's just, God, it's terrible. But when people do it, right. Like, I mean, you mentioned Chris Dunker. He is—he's the man. He like just the amount of coverage he does and how much he cares. Like you can tell, and more reporters—they're like him. A be fantastic world.
2: Yeah, As we have that kind of talent. We just lost the DC correspondent at the World Herald, who had been there twenty years, thirty years, something—a long, yeah, long a time. Year. what? So when the when the insurrection went down. Who was covering it for Nebraska? Nobody. Well, nobody the was way, there.
1: They hired him at one of the TV stations. Oh, really? Good. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad that that long tail. relationship. I don't the relationship- know that, I don't know that he. I don't know if he gets to do DC. I just know that they were like, "We're going to snatch up this good journalist, even though he's well- never done TV before." <laughs>
2: I mean, the reality is a lot of journalism is about relationships and knowing where to sniff around. So as long yep. as he's still in the space and employed, what he's I going to be pushing his typical out. I hear he's so, doing good. great.
1: Yeah, I'm sources? really glad to hear that. Okay, that's so we right. got off on a tangent, though. What were we...
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, what were we talking about?
1: <laughs> I had a, That's one of my high horses. I always have to jump on about
2: the press. <laughs> okay, so anyway, found the report and now Oh, I'm yeah, not I know in trouble.
1: Well, yeah, should be in, in trouble. What are the ways this could go?
0: So like the ones uh, we can predict. <laughs> right. Under, under the procedure that was used, uh, filed a it's called a citizen's complaint with the NADC, and basically it kicks the issue to them and their board's gonna look at it and it's gonna decide whether they're, they're gonna move forward on it. And if they do, they're gonna need to bring in also the state attorney general, which would be really interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I, one of the favorite things I love to see is when government uh, is pitted against government. So uh, that could only be uh, <laughs> an interesting turn of events there. And
2: remind everyone who the Eternal Attorney General is of Nebraska uh, uh,
0: Doug Peterson that is the AG.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you know off the top of your head? He hates weed as well. Mm-hmm. He hates it.
0: <laughs> Say that.
2: Um, and, and he has been. Doing, he's been in active litigation against um different state laws that he doesn't like and he works with other attorney generals to try to make state hold his personal values
1: Right, right and so he's, been,
2: <laughs> he's been trying to sue colorado over pot he's been trying to he was one of the plaintiff's Defendant, I'm not sure which side it was, but the Supreme Court was talking about whether or not you can fire someone if they um, transition genders while they're employed for you and they're mm-hmm. a perfect employee. Nebraska was one of the people who was like, yeah, we need to be able to do that. That's Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. He goes on all the bad lawsuits. He was one of the ones who showed up about the election lawsuit after the insurrection or before the insurrection, yeah. where he was like, You know, I don't know. It seems like these QAnon laws might have something
0: to them. Yeah, we're mad about it. You know, he's uh, the the one thing I'll say about uh, Mr. Peterson is he had time for all those uh, fantastic lawsuits. But we were the only state uh, that did not join in the recent opioid lawsuits. The only one in the entire Mm -hmm. union. And that would have uh, his call yeah yep. go ahead look it it's up true. that was a story um that was had that, some yeah. coverage you guys i think you guys covered it yeah too. something like that uh,
1: we probably At least retweeted it. it i like we I said it's a group you, effort there, <laughs> there's yeah. so many someone, bad someone things it. but it is hard
2: oh, it's God, hard to remember
1: every bad i know thing. yeah you guys that's, this is um, a little tangent but i gotta say it real quick i went to seattle recently and so freaking liberal <laughs> Like, the arena was named Climate Change Arena. <laughs> climate Plan Arena. It was, there were other arenas with names, but still, I was just like, whoa. Anyway. Um,
0: was that one of those police no-go zones I heard on the news? Uh, no, everything was fine <laughs> when I was
1: there. It was pretty recently. But anyways, um, what I was going to say was that I came, and my friend that was visiting is actually getting ready to move for job purposes. And I was complaining about Nebraska, and she was like, you don't have to live there. <laughs> and now i came back and i'm like i don't have to live here yeah. <laughs> everything's terrible <laughs> well and i'm kind of but you know what i mean it's just yeah, i, I was just moments. joking that there was just like so much crap sometimes it gets I to mean, you
2: i would say i don't care i mean of course i want to live in a liberal Shangri La, um but like i don't need to I don't need to to live a good life, but I would like to live in a place where the government cannot lie, buy, cheat, and steal its way to doing whatever it wants, which is right. what we're seeing in this yeah. Terry Wagner case. Put that on like, a t-shirt. I don't want to live in a place That's like so, that. It's
0: so true. It's, it, it, the, the, it's so far gone, whatever conservatism used to mean or whatever Republican values, like they're just, this a certain point, just blatantly cheating out in the open and getting away with, completely sidestepping the will with the people and as someone who got into uh law and advocacy to try and give voice to you know people and help them out with the resources that i have and you know the 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 fortune fortunate life i got to live uh, for people just take the opposite approach and, and use whatever power and authority they can to completely to uh Squash it any opportunity to get for just no real reason at all. It's t- it just to me it's disgusting. Um, strong word, but that's just that's just what Agreed. makes me feel.
2: How does it feel to be so? Uh, you are the named person on this lawsuit. You are not like this organization is complaining mm-hmm. about Terry Wagner. It is like John Cartier is real mad about Terry Wagner, and here's his <laughs> list of reasons
1: like how does <laughs> love it feel to be john cartier
0: <laughs> yeah and that i mean that's that's great makes me if, a big if, fan if uh if there's anything i could ever be remembered for, hopefully it is in this moment where we shed a little light on um what people in an ethical society should be doing especially their sheriff in their town
2: i mean i just yeah. want to say like we are we often hear, I think, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this as well. When you're out and you're talking to people, you often hear like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't put my neck out like that. And I just always kind of think like, then you're part of the problem, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, maybe that's just my first thought. But yeah. like, you did put your neck out. Was it something that yeah. you had to really like consider thoughtfully? Was your spouse on board? Were your parents like, Oh, I don't know, John? That just seems like going after the sheriff in your town. I don't know. <laughs> my uh
0: my mom and my dad definitely had a comment like that, like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Um but uh it was really I I didn't really have to think about it much. I knew it was the right thing to do. And I'm in a the perfect position to do it, to elevate it just a little bit, to make people maybe look. Uh, I'm, not pretend, I'm not like this great big deal, but I've been working in this um, policy area for a little bit now. And I hope people that have been following have um, trusted what we've been trying to do. And I'm never going to let it go the day that they... Uh, really just uh hurt a lot of people uh just physically and emotionally it was it was terrible um what happened uh so i'm just mad as hell i don't really give a shit anymore it's honestly like if i get targeted by the sheriffs or police law enforcement like you know that would suck i would really hope they don't do anything that would affect my family but i, I there's no guarantees in anything in life um, I just know is the right thing to do and I have to do it and that's it.
2: Well, I am incredibly proud of you. It is, it takes good people not being silent. I mean, that's just what it takes. And you know, there's just, this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum and somebody somewhere knows exactly what happened with this money. They worked on it. Lots of people worked on this and people know, and good people who think that they're good in their hearts, they're not saying anything and you are, and it's important. It's important. And we can't, and especially when we're thinking about the last 12 months, what we've lived through, you know, after George Floyd died, and there is this huge wave. I mean, we needed to talk about police accountability and lots of communities were, and lots of advocacy spaces were, but it wasn't the national conversation it is now. We have to hold law enforcement accountable. They are not above the law. They have to follow the law, period, full stop. Everyone has to follow the law or this this doesn't work. You know, this whole yeah. like civic space, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah. That's the so quickest think- way
0: to anarchy is, yeah, they themselves just completely disrespecting it. So nobody respects it at all. And that's just how you completely erode fabric society.
1: Yeah. Melody. You mean, I you think need There's a really, Oh, go ahead, April. No, you can that.
2: Oh, I was going to say, there's a really good episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And they turn their bar into anarchy because they come across all these rules that make them mad. And they're like, we're going to have anarchy. And then like, there's this uh, group of siblings, um, and I think they're all, I mean, it's like some, some sort of like weird, like incestual sibling relationship. And they just like hate them. And they're like a reoccurring. And they show up at the bar, but the bar couldn't get rid of them. And then all their friends. And it's just, then they end up like hating their bar. And they try to go in the basement. And their dad is being incredibly inappropriate. And they realize, you know, the lesson is the anarchy doesn't work. <laughs> like you eat some water. No, anarchy. But you have to- <laughs> it doesn't It's not work.
0: to work. Right.
2: So, so anyway, it's a very good episode, and it's you know hilarious and irreverent and all the things I like have that, to watch that. Show always it, is it's but so
0: perfect for right now.
2: It's a really good <laughs> episode.
1: Um, what I wanted to bring up, I, I assume we're kind of getting towards wrapping up, but I, I'm I'm going to say it, and I know you'll say it, Melody, because John's not going to say it. Does John doesn't need to say it? Um, I can think of at least a couple local billionaires who probably funded this. And I can't wait until we find out where it came from because all the other badges have been funded by them and uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. I mean the money either came from
2: Bulges or it came from Wall Street. It, it is, isn't that, it's kind of
0: funny like we all kind of I mean we know where it came from but just the fact that it's hidden and they did it legally to do it, it like it's not even a big deal just like tell us We'll mm-hmm. just have a day where, we're like, oh well, this this motherfucker didn't. Just get like enough. you did with <laughs> all the others, <laughs> right. All right? And then
2: we'll move on, and it'll be right. New like new when new he new bought now. the death penalty no. and then yeah. killed the guy with illegal drugs. Yeah, just put it out there. Like, Your face doesn't care. Why? Why break the law? I, I just think that maybe
0: you know certain people at the top wherever it might be here or elsewhere they're just not as smart as maybe we think they are. I'm certainly not. No, smart they're not. As I think I am.
2: <laughs> listen, listen, the we, Republican Party, we, mm-hmm. we are on to them. We know like they just broke their own window for the fourth time. <laughs> like they're not having they're not they're worried about the elections, the city elections in Lincoln and Omaha. And so in response, they broke their own window for the fourth time. And I know they broke their own goddamn window because they are a billionaire funded party and they don't have any video of it. Because they're like, Well, we installed this one stupid video camera that doesn't yeah. actually capture. No, they have anything. a camera.
0: Did you see the camera this time? The footage of the hoodie. Yeah. Oh yeah,
2: but, they had like, wow, way up a here and it's not
1: it's no, not wherever you
2: see someone's <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean,
2: like if you actually <laughs> thought someone was repeatedly breaking your window, you would be like, Hey, <sighs> Peter, we need more money for the for our state party headquarters, and then Pete Ricketts would be like Sure. Talk to Jessica. She'll write you the check. It's all good. And then they would have like top level security there, but they don't because they do it themselves. and They don't actually want the person caught.
0: Yeah. Well, they, oh, they're um, such
2: bad people. So and, terrible.
0: Oh, I, I was just going to say the, the one interesting thing that I, I, I found it really funny um, when it happened, but so the new executive director, of the Republican party, um, Ryan Hamilton, I knew him from Las Vegas way, way, way back. He was my counselor at Boys State in Nevada. Whoa!
2: Yeah. The world is yeah. so small. What small, brought him to Lincoln? Small
0: world. Uh, he got a job. He knew he worked in Florida. I think it was Florida. No, no, Nevada. And then, you know, they got their ass handed him in Nevada. So I, he knew that the guy who worked for there knew Ricketts and started working out here.
2: They're like, this guy has done terrible in his job. Let's have him come <laughs> maybe here.
0: I'll, maybe he'll turn it around out here. So, but you know, what a I, great I, I Genesis story.
2: Yeah,
1: he's. Oh gosh, he thing. Um, just okay. Well, we had, well just we had. about shit. your other. Oh, sorry. There's <laughs> a little lag, so I'm sorry if I'm going over talking over. Oh, um, I had to go back one more time to this comment when you were talking about a lot of people aren't as smart as they think they are, and we will all agree that we're probably not as smart as we think we are. But, um, we were having a conversation on Seeing Red about watching the legislature and before you start watching the legislature, you start you thought legislators were kind of smart. <laughs> and then you watch yeah. and you're like, I don't, I don't oh my the God, anymore. they don't understand how the rules work. I'm just watching and I understand how the rules work. And then like and they just say like, oh, I don't know. And you know, they pick their nose literally. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's interesting. But you know how, who are you gonna get when you don't pay very much you know and it's eats up oh, months it's of your time terrible, it's not terrible hours job. Yeah,
0: yeah the money's terrible it's um You're, huge props to you know the centers that do do who are don't make a ton of money it's just not easy
2: yeah okay well april would you like to ask john the questions that we always ask people before we send do them on?
1: As President Librarian, John, have you been reading any books you might recommend to our listeners?
0: Why, yes, April, I have, actually. Um, <laughs> this is a fantastic read. If you were interested in learning more about um, voter suppression and especially the history surrounding it, it goes very in-depth to the what happened with Jim Crow and just how mm-hmm. devastating the passage of those laws were, where... At one time, right after the Civil War, there were thriving communities of um, Black people who were voting themselves into power and uh, were on the voter registration rolls. And then within 10 years, Jim Crow reduced their voter registration to like 95% through all, a whole bunch wow. of things. Um, so it goes very in-depth in that, and then it it ties into what's happening now with voter suppression and voter ID, and it's the same old thing, same old dance. You have um, a couple steps you move uh, forward, and then you got to take a step back um, as the you know powers that be fight each other. But again, it's it's One Person No Vote, written by Carol Anderson. It's a really good read. I recommend that.
1: We'll put it up in our bookshop link for our listeners. I don't have a lot to say yet, but I will tell you that I'm reading um, it's not necessarily new, Cast The Origins of Our Discontent Discon- by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, I think everyone's probably heard of it, but I'll talk more about it on the But I'll put that in the Trip
2: as well. Just for anybody, if you in case you forget, if you just go to seeingred.com/fightback, we have links to our book list, and we just have all kinds of lists of cool books. And if you buy any of the books, you get them from independent booksellers, and a portion of your money goes back into Seeing Red. That was super cool. Uh, okay, John, I have a question for you. You have had an incredible advocacy career so far. Right, and you've been doing this for a good long time, and you've seen a lot of things, run for office, run big statewide campaigns, run smaller campaigns, been um, a bit candidate yourself. For somebody who is just bubbling up with passion, and they wanna, they wanna do more than vote, they wanna do more than write a letter, what kind of advice would you give to them?
0: There was uh, a couple good pieces of advice I got shortly after I became an attorney. The, the first piece of advice I got from a judge I was shadowing, and he said to me when I asked him uh, my question, you know, what, what, do you, what would you tell me, you know, in your years of wisdom? And he just said simply, uh, you should be a nice person to everybody, literally everybody. I was like, huh, that seemed like kind of a simple cop-out answer. But, you know, I took that to heart. Um, and then the second one I got from an old salty attorney, um, a city attorney who worked for Louisiana, um, New Orleans for like 15 years. And we just met at a bar in D.C. at the airport. He told me, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you, as long as you're the most prepared person in a room, you're going to excel and succeed over those who – might have more natural ability. Um, so those are two really good practical things of advice that were very simple, but have always rung true to me and just kind of my life experiences. And I would impart that on um, younger people. And if you're interested in advocacy, uh, more more practical pieces of advice, you feel free to reach out to me if you guys want to leave an email. Um, I, I'd be happy to direct people into an internship direction or answer some questions. I. I, I try to take as much time as I can to help um, law clerks or people move forward in their career. Cause I had people do that to, with me. Um, that's really helpful, but just don't give up. You're going to take a lot of losses, more losses and victories, but all the huge change that has happened in history happens because of s- small people doing a lot of small cumulative events that eventually turns a tide in a major way. So I, you can either be, One of those forces that helps with that fight you can be someone who stands on the sideline be kind of lukewarm not really do anything or you could be someone who works in the opposite direction and to me the the only good option is to fight the good fight and um live a life that uh hopefully my uh kids can look back and said i made a difference
2: wow i love that i especially love you'll take more losses than victories don't give up. Yeah, can't. You, just, you can't. I mean, shit, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, Don't drink too much.
1: <laughs> that's the easy say thing to people, try and do. <laughs>
2: the future of the world is not personally on your personal shoulders. Try not to hold the whole weight, but like you do have to do your part. You do have to make your small inroads here and there, and here and there, and just keep going. Yeah, I love that. That's so inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on the pod tonight. We really appreciate your time. It was great.
0: Thank you. great speaking with you. Thanks, April and and Scott. Um, I know you're you're out there. (laughs) But uh, thanks for everything you guys do and how you profile things that um, other outlets might not give notice to. And it's always great to uh, have a chance to interact with you guys. So thank you.
2: Thank you so much.
1: You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.